Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. To make a rich, smooth cold brew, Tim Horton steeps 100% Arabica beans for 16 hours. What could be richer than that? Well, uh... How about blending in swirls of sweet Irish cream? Rich enough? Ooh, I guess. Not quite. Because Tim Horton's tops that cold brew with the cloud of sweet cold foam. Now, what could be richer than that? Nothing? Exactly. Irish cream cold brew with cold foam now at Tim Hortons. Or try cold foam on any of your Tim Hortons favorites. Modifications extra for a limited time at participating U.S. locations. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to this two-part special edition of A Different Perspective. I'm the host, Kevin Randall. Before we jump into the middle of this, let me say that I would like you to do what I'd like you to do here. If you think about heading over to Amazon and read any of the books that you enjoy, this helps spread the word and uh, about UFOs and alerts others to the topic. My guests today are Tony Begalia and John Greenwald, who are at opposite ends of a long perspective about the latest release of documents, which Tony has suggested confirms the U.S. government is in possession of alien material. While Begalia believes the documents prove that extraterrestrial materials have been provided to UFO, UFO to American industry for reverse engineering and to answer uh, one of his FOIA requests proves it, the answer to his FOIA request proves it, John believes that there's nothing extraordinary in the document dump and that this FOIA response is typical of the government. I hope that the forum that we have here on this special edition of A Different Perspective will allow us to slice through some of the barricade, or probably better word would be barrage of documents, and figure out exactly what it means. Tony Bregalia is a longtime investigator into UFO phenomenon. He has spent years chasing the story of a memory metal that was recovered at the UFO, the Roswell UFO crash. He has found scientists at the Battelle Institute who had worked on a similar project and believes that the inspiration for that metal was found on the Roswell debris field in 1947. This led him to make 
freedom of information request to various agencies, including the Pentagon. The result was a number of documents, all classified at the lowest level, that Tony believed has was an admission that the Pentagon and the federal government had crashed recovered debris. He announced this on his website. Tony says that he goes where others have not gone in his search for the truth. He says that he is not affiliated with any group or organization and self-funds all his work, which frees him to make what he terms as bold and uncensored reports. He has been featured in books and magazine articles and only recently began appearing on radio shows to support his views. John Greenwald began his research and use of FOIA as a teenager interested in UFOs. Now a long-recognized expert in the use of FOIA and a professional who has not only appeared in documentaries about UFOs, but has produced them as well. He is routinely sought by the news media and <clears throat> news media as they search for a rational voice in a field that is sometimes seen as fringe. You know, and we wear tinfoil hats and that sort of thing. He is the creator of the Black Vault website, which has more than two million documents in its archive, not all of them dealing specifically with UFOs. His efforts over the year have resulted in the declassification of documents that have been long hidden in various government files. Many of his discoveries provide insight to the way the government has dealt with UFOs and a host of other topics, including the FBI files kept on UFO researchers and CIA documents that touch on UFOs. Now, I'm going to do what they do in the, uh, the real world of this. I'm going to start with Tony. Uh, I hope you can briefly, and I stress the word briefly, tell us about your FOIA request and what conclusions you have drawn from those documents. Why do you believe this proves the extraterrestrial connection? Sure. Well, uh, first, uh, Kevin, thanks again for having me on again. I appreciate it so much. Uh, and uh, you've done a good job of summing up uh, uh, this uh, whole thing to date, I think. Uh, but I'll try to clarify a little bit more. Um, as folks know, um, back in 2017, I had filed a FOIA request, uh, which uh, was made to the DIA, uh, and that request was based on a article that I had read in uh, late December, I believe, of 2017, by um, Leslie Keene and Ralph Blumenthal, uh, where they had talked about uh, Bigelow Aerospace, uh, holding material that was anomalous that required specialized facilities to be constructed to hold them. And I was very surprised that such a sentence was even in the article, and it seemed to not get a lot of traction. So I thought maybe the best thing to do would be to uh, file a FOIA and uh, make it as unambiguous in its meaning as I possibly could and as specific as I possibly could. Uh, and so I think I did that in a pretty good way. Um, I uh, had requested uh, physical debris recovered by personnel of the Department of Defense as residue or floatsome or shot-off material or crashed UAPs or uh, unidentified uh, flying objects. Uh, folks can see the FOIA request uh, on my website uh, at ufoexplorations.com. And uh, in their reply... Uh, which took about three and a half years to get, and uh, many uh, follow-up emails and phone calls to the DIA chief of FOIA. But uh, I did, I received back over 150 pages of documents that amazingly agreed and were responsive to my request uh, for recovered UFO debris and its analysis. But um, 
it was a little bit uh, a play on words in that I had requested uh, chemical analysis and elemental analysis. And I really want to dive into this much more deeply today. And again, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. But um, when uh, the material was received, I too was surprised that it was unclassified and found out later that some of the material had actually been out for over a decade. But when I began to really deep dive on this, it made complete sense to me. And despite the social chatter and what others have said about that particular point or points, it actually strengthens the case in a number of different ways. And as we begin to really do a deep dive, a technical deep dive uh, into this material, and I think uh, and appreciate the opportunity to do that because I think we really need to, um, if we do that and we look at the technical aspects of the materials reports, it really helps us to understand why they were sent to me. Uh, it will help us to understand how these reports relate to UFOs and are, in fact, based on alien alloy study. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, if we have, you know, you, you've got the format here, but uh, if you wanted me to do a bit of a deep dive point by point on what was received and why I believe it relates very directly to UFOs, I'd be happy to do that. Well, let's, let's hold off on that for a little while because we have, we have the time to, to, to take we a look sure at that. We sure do. Let me but I do want to kind of go into that because I think, you know, that is where the central thing is. We can talk about all the ancillary things and the noise surrounding this and how John and I disagree about so well, many let's, things. Well, let's, let's but, do yeah, that. But, yeah, when we let's, actually look at the material, Tony, the Tony, things that were sent, Tony, yeah. Tony, yeah. let me talk. Thank you. Okay, Kevin, sure. Uh, we can get into that a little bit later. I want to bring John into discussion here. Sure. Because he's now listened to what you said, and I know he has some opposing opinions. So let's listen to what John has to say. John, um, I know hey. I know you listened to this. So what's what's your opinion of where we are so far? Yeah. Well, first off, uh, as as always, thanks for the opportunity to join you. So uh, yes, listen to what Tony said, and 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 going through his FOIA request, which had uh, a lot of detail on it. And I think that, in my opinion. That's where the confusion comes from. His original FOIA request uh, has seven total items that he had listed out on what he was requesting. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's detailed and, and to the point. But from a legal standpoint, what that means to a FOIA officer is you're not looking for material that meets every single item of, of your criteria but rather it's uh, considered or, meaning uh, it's not number one and number two and number three. It is number one or number two or number three. And why that's important is that you can get material that is responsive to a small portion of what you're requesting. That doesn't necessarily mean the overall scope of what you're requesting is uh, what triggered the response. So, what, John, John, what you're saying here is that the FOIA officer, when he looks at the FOIA request, uh, he is obligated to respond to it in a timely fashion that's in, correct. Some, in some form. But he doesn't necessarily respond to every aspect of the request if it is a detailed request. That's, that's correct. So it can be a double-edged sword because it can create more confusion rather than clarity on why you received you know, X, Y, Z with, with, with a particular request. And in this particular request that Tony had done, uh, what I w would point out is what's called item number five, 
which does not mention UFOs, does not mention UAPs. And specifically, uh, I'll quote it, it says, the titles and authors of all technical and analytical reports conducted on all held material. Now, the reason why that's key is there's a couple couple quick points. Uh, Tony had set up the request naming ATIP, or the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Uh, he had talked about uh, Bigelow Aerospace and uh, the material recovered uh, from from UAPs that obviously was from the New York Times. But um, again, this is to his credit. We didn't know any different. We don't know what's true and what's not from that New York Times article. So when the DIA gets this, the key things to them are ATIP, which we know for a fact when they told Senator John McCain in a letter that they wrote that came out through FOIA in early 2018, we know for a fact that they consider ATIP and what's called OSAP essentially the same program. OSAP was the overall program that created the documents that Tony received through his FOIA. So essentially for this conversation, we'll just say they're the same program because in the eyes of the DIA, that's what they told Senator McCain. So with that being said, those are the key parts, Bigelow Aerospace, ATIP, materials, analysis. Those all stick out to a FOIA officer. And uh, to the credit of, of many FOIA officers, as much as the FOIA gets a bad rap, they do want to help. And they do want to give you what you requested. One thing that was not in the original reporting by Tony was that the request was amended from what you see. Now, amendments are very common, but what that amendment was, was to essentially uh, narrow it to all material, uh, essentially all the, the, the analysis on material, and Tony was going to get what's called a rolling release. That was all spelled out in emails that Tony had sent me for further clarity. So why, again, that is key is that shows beyond any doubt that to that FOIA officer, they were going to roll that first part of the release out, which was item number five. It fits to the T. Titles and authors of all technical and analytical reports conducted on all held material. And that's essentially what they got. And that fits into the scope of what was called OSAP or ATIP uh, at this time. And that's uh, what was created in the form of, of those reports. When John, I, let me interrupt. John, let me interrupt you here because sure. I'm getting, I'm running up toward my break here, and I want to make sure I get everything in. Uh, your website, of course, is www.theblackvault.com. Uh, the Black Vault, all crunched together and lowercase. Tony's uh, website is www.ufoexplorations.com. UFO explorations, one word, and all crammed together. Uh, you can look for their responses to one another. Their other articles about. Uh, this material at those websites. And I wanted to take a moment here because I think we should mention that there's some other fine programs about the paranormal on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at xzbn.net. Take a look at the listings on the X-Zone website and you'll find something there that'll spark your interest. And of course, this program really does spark your interest. I'm sure of that. And I also wanted to mention for those of you who are unaware, the books are the Best of Project Blue Book, which is a, a, a look at some of the cases that may not have gotten as much publicity as some of the others, but they're good, solid cases. And I think it makes a case leaning toward the extraterrestrial there. Encounter in the Desert, which is the Lonnie Zamora sighting, looked at in depth, including some commentary from uh, Tony about that as well. And of course, the ever-present and always lovely 
uh, <clears throat> Roswell in the 21st century, which I think of as a closed case investigation or a cold case investigation of the Roswell case. I will be back right after this with Tony Bregalia and John Greenwald, and we'll be looking at uh, the documentation dump that uh, Tony managed to get. We'll be back right after this, so please stick around. genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas. To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. I am joined by John Greenwald, he of the Black Vault, and Tony Bregalia, he of UFO Explorations, in this special two-hour, two-part a different perspective. We're discussing the uh, documentation. Uh, John, when we went to break, I had interrupted you um, making a point about the way the FOIA officers respond to this, and I thought I'd give you a chance to finish that thought. Sure, I appreciate it, and I'll make it quick. Uh, in short, you know, FOIA officers do want to be transparent. They want to help in most cases, not all, uh, but but in, in most. And I think that uh, in this particular case, uh, there was some, and I would hope that Tony would admit to this, some fairly strong uh, worded, um, I would say, demands on how this FOIA case would be handled and uh, by, uh, by Tony to the DIA. And in response, the DIA said, uh, you know, th this is uh, what I believe the amendment is. Tony agreed to that, which was the rolling release. And, and that's, you know, essentially what we have. So beyond that, when the reports came out, uh, I, I think that we're not dealing with the UAP portion of the request. 
and especially on on top of that, there's a lot of evidence that goes against that any of this had anything to do with UAPs, but rather it does fit into what the original OSAP uh, or ATIP, what that whole program description was, which was advanced aerospace research along with uh, um, weaponry as well, that technology being used for weapons as well. Okay. Uh, Tony, you've, of course, heard what John had to say. Um, and you wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive into this material that you received. How do you connect it to the extraterrestrial? And, yeah. and Well, that's uh, and a wide-open question. What do, you think, yeah. what do you think of John's response uh, or, or description of the way the FOIA requests work? Which is, a, yeah. I guess, a long-involved yeah. question. It is. It is, and I'll uh, try to... Uh, calmly go through all of it. Uh, of course, I disagree entirely with John and his assessment in every way. Uh, and uh, I have the benefit of having uh, been able to talk, actually, with the DIA uh, chief of FOIA, Steve Tominsky, on several occasions. And I allude to this in the emails that I presented uh, publicly. Uh, and I'm glad that I did, because it confirms that not only was this uh, written correspondence, but in fact, it was also uh, talks on the phone, great talks. Uh, we actually had several very, very intelligent, calm talks where he understood completely that I didn't want to have any games played relative to acronyms of programs and that I was seeking information on UFOs or we could call them UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena. Either term was acceptable to me. Let's include both. He agreed. Um, Steve uh, from the DIA, who uh, approved and released the material to me, was under no illusion that I was referring it every time and all the time to UFOs and UAPs, to Bigelow Aerospace, to debris, to testing of that debris. Uh, when John speaks about an amendment, uh, technically there was an amendment, but what John has failed to tell listeners is that, in fact, my original request was clear. It was unambiguous and had nothing to do with what uh, the DI had originally thought was, which for me, uh, which was to request all information on AATIP, all information of every type, which would have taken years and years to produce. I reminded Steve Tominsky at the DIA that, in fact, no, that is not the original request. I'm not amending anything. I'm actually reiterating what I am seeking originally, and, of course, we've all seen the FOIA request, uh, Tony, which uh, details... Uh, yes. Tony, Tony aren't, aren't we kind of getting lost in some semantics here? Um, John talks about it being an amendment. <clears throat> you talk to being a re reiteration of your original request. Isn't right, I never... The, yeah. But isn't that basically the same thing? No, no. No, it's not, because an amendment would mean that there was something that needed to be amended, and there was nothing that I did to amend anything that I had originally requested. In fact, he referred back to the original request, and I don't know that I sent this to you, John, but he sent me back the original request and said, I now, now I understand what you're looking for. And he sent to me the exact original request I had made back in 2017. So the idea that there was a, um, an amendment or a request for uh, all information on AATIP, this is incorrect. Uh, the original request stands as only looking for UAP, UFO, test debris, uh, uh, testing of debris as held by Bigelow Aerospace. 
Well, then let's take a look at, in the documentation you receive, what specifically gets us to the UAP, a term I actually hate, by the way, for those yeah, of you I listening out there, uh, the, the, the UFO material. What what directly relates yeah. to that? What proof is in those documents about the extraterrestrial? Uh, uh-huh. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to really dive into it a little bit more, because I think part of the problem, certainly, John, I think is misinterpreted in many ways, uh, this issue, and that is that at no time did I really expect to receive uh, elemental and chemical analysis of extraterrestrial materials. Uh, that is something that uh, would be like asking for the secret to the H-bomb. They're never going to give you the recipe to atomic energy. It's simply, uh, you could FOIA it all you want, and they're never going to give it to you. But what they did do is provide to me uh, research papers that do, in fact, find their impetus uh, in alloys, uh, alien alloys. Uh, and it becomes very evident when we do a very, very deep dive technically into the material that was received. And this, I think, is very, very important to do, and which, um, perhaps to my fault, has been difficult to do because it is a complex story. It is a long story. Likely it requires a book, probably a very long book. Uh, but uh, in the time that we have here, I will try to begin at the beginning. And the beginning was at Roswell and at the crash in 1947 and the material that was received, uh, retrieved uh, by the government. And this has always been uh, my thing. You know, witness testimony is great. What people say is great. But what people found is of much more interest to me. And the relation to this material, these documents, and to Roswell is extraordinary. And as we look into some of the other material that's discussed in the papers that were received, well, we begin Tony, to see directly. Tony, excuse me. What what exactly relates in these papers you receive? What what re- relates specifically to Roswell? The uh, okay. Well, I'm trying to get there. If you'll let me, because it is, a, as I say, a little bit of a complex story. And we're have yeah, to we got that. Just answer the question. Let's go. Uh, excuse me. Okay, let's, Kevin. Let's, thank you. I will try to do that. So uh, in terms of its relation to Roswell, the information that received included uh, several pages of what are called uh, advanced technology reports on uh, nitinol, or sometimes called nitinol, which is a shape recovery alloy. And uh, nitinol or nitinol has uh, very similar properties to the memory metal that was found fallen as debris at the Roswell crash in 47. And the pages that were found within the FOIA reply uh, on nitinol uh, explore its potential for integrating it into the human body for the improvement of health, which is a distinctly non-weapon application for this material. And as folks know, I've um, uh, actually amassed over 50 uh, witnesses to Roswell who have mentioned a metal-like material that could remember itself when deformed or, or folded and uh, return to its original state uh, seamlessly and, and instantly. Uh, and I've done a series of investigative articles on this, and actually the concluding chapter of the bestseller Witness to Roswell discusses this in some detail. So uh, when I received the material and uh, over a dozen pages related to shape recovery or shape memory alloys, uh, I was understandably uh, amazed. Uh, And uh, it talked quite a bit about ultra-high purity titanium, which uh, is required to make memory metal. And uh, this ties in, Kevin, to you very directly. 
uh, you had discussed with General Arthur, Arthur Exxon, the base commander at Wright-Patterson in the 1960s, who flew over the crash site in 1947. And I believe on tape, he told you that he understood that some of the wreckage being tested was comprised in part of specially processed titanium. So we begin to examine specially processed titanium within these documents. And we further look into the documents and we begin to talk about uh, the composite or sandwich construction uh, utilizing combinations of metals and plastics. Well, remarkably, uh, in September of 47, two months after the Roswell crash, uh, General George Shogun of Air Intelligence uh, described precisely that. He used the words composite or sandwich construction utilizing various combinations of metals and plastics. And he put out a uh, previously secret memo uh, to underlings, uh, which concentrated on their paying attention to the materials of construction. Uh, and so when we look at those layered materials of construction that Shulgin looks, uh, talks about, in the DIA sponsor reports that I received, we begin to see mention of very highly engineered material called metamaterial or uh, composite material. And incredibly, this metamaterial can also be layered with metals and plastics like Shulgin uh, referred to. And uh, throughout uh, the received FOIA documents, we see mention of the potential use of these materials in advanced aerospace platforms. Okay, let me and, interrupt uh, you here. And Tony, this is where, where John and I agree. Well, I was I going to say, uh, Kevin. Uh -huh. I, got, I got a question for you. I've got actually a couple of things here. Number one is I do not remember Exxon saying anything about uh, the titanium. It's in your books, and I, can, I will cite it and send it to you. Uh, I don't remember that at all. Uh, I will cite it and I will send it to you. You certainly did talk about titanium, uh, Arthur Exxon, and his mention of specially processed titanium that was being okay, tested. Okay, and, and, and I want to bring I want to bring John back in here because I think we've got into some of this stuff, uh, and I wanted to get kind of John's reaction to what you were saying here in the, in the last couple of minutes before we have to take a break. So, John, uh, can we get a couple of comments on, on what Tony was saying about this yeah, tying into Roswell? Of course, a couple very quick ones. So just to close off that FOIA part, uh, I don't want to go backwards, but just to close that off, to further prove my point, I can cite FOIA cases that asked specifically and only for UFO information. And as a result, I got hundreds of pages, the majority of which were Nazi Horton brother designs of a flying wing. Uh, I had sent this to Tony as kind of an example, and I asked him about it on my show, and he said he didn't want to talk about it, which is fine. But I do. Uh, need to be, John, but can we tell people why? Because you throw these well, things wait out, a minute, and I didn't guys. have the opportunity to review it. Wait a minute, guys. Uh, actually, wait a minute, guys. Actually, the question, the question I posed to John, and John, um, please answer the question: yeah. is um, how does what how did what Tony say? relate to Roswell that the his response to my question about how you tie it to Roswell does that in fact the point yeah and and that's what I'm answering with with prefacing it with this FOIA case and that uh you can stretch to get to an opinion but it doesn't mean that it's actual fact so my whole point with this FOIA case asking only for UFO material is that this was uh obviously not but it's, it's the difference of what I call exactly responsive and loosely responsive. 
How this connects to Roswell, now moving to this FOIA case, uh, is kind of beyond me. But I will say this quickly about nitinol and memory metal, two uh, key words here that I feel Tony's uh, uh, biggest point is, that he connects it through his research. And that all is, is great. Those are all great opinions of a researcher who is focused on that. But there's an agency called the Defense Technical Information Center. And if we're going to base the existence of nitinol and, and uh, memory metal analysis and connecting that, then it has to be connected to Roswell, and this has to be alien alloys, as, as Tony said it uh, a few moments ago. Uh, DTIC has, as I speak, 371 full technical analyses on nitinol that you can access at any time going back decades prior to the reports that Tony is talking about. In John, addition, I'm going to have to interrupt here because i got to yeah. take a break. Yeah, no We will problem. get back to this on the other side. But, um, and I appreciate, appreciate you guys being, being so uh, common in this discussion. <laughs> uh, my website, of course, is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I will have more information up at, about this um, in the next day or so so that you all can take a look at some of these other aspects of it. We will be back right after this with John Greenwald and Tony Bregalia talking about all these sorts of things. So please stick around. Tony Begalia, he of the the UFO Explorations website, ufoexplorations.com, and John Greenwald, he of the Black Vault uh, website. We're discussing the documentation that uh, Tony received. And when we went away, I had interrupted John in his answer about uh, the nitinol and the documentation about that. So, John, pick it up at that point, if, if you don't mind. So when talking about nitinol and, and, and memory metal and even metamaterials, I know we haven't talked about that, but that's a, another kind of buzzword uh, in, in the UAP research realm uh, in, a, in a wider spe spectrum. All of that goes back decades and decade, decades, and there are reams of material available on all of that, including highly technical analyses uh, and, and essentially getting into very much the hardcore science behind all of this. And... But John, let me ask you a question. Um, is there a documentation that predates the 1947 crash in Roswell that, that deals with this kind of materials? Was there some kind of research going on prior to 1947? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know the exact answer to that question because I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm citing. I can answer that. Well, my, I think my, my further point here is just because it's talking about nitinol doesn't necessarily leap it to connecting it to Roswell. And uh, with the appropriate amount of time, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to look uh, for you. My research angle is not nitinol. And the, the pure existence of that uh, in this document that, that Tony is talking about, in my opinion, just doesn't connect it to Roswell um, at all. So if, if that were to be true, then we have had for decades in the public realm all of this, quote unquote, alien alloy material out in the open. And I don't see it. Um, and I can um, I can hear his frustration. But one final point that I can make 
um, is leaping from, again, a what I feel is a, a perfectly fine opinion that if he feels this turns back to Roswell and this is proof of that technology and further analysis of, again, what he's calling alien alloys, the documents just don't say it. And on top of that, the man, Dr. Hal Putoff, who decided the topics of this just says no, it has nothing to do with alien debris. So when you when you leap from that and you write a headline that says Pentagon admits it has UFO debris, releases test results, there's nothing to support it from the top down. And again, we can have a perfectly fine opinion that Nittenall ties back to Roswell and and research into that exploded thereafter and all of that. Maybe the scientists didn't know it's rooted in alien uh, debris, but it is. That's all fine, and we can have that discussion. But you can't leap from that opinion to saying the Pentagon admitted to having UFO debris. And the other headline kicker was ET Connection Confirmed, all written by Tony. And, and I would love to ask the question again, what connection is confirmed? Kevin, I know you asked that in the beginning. We're going I'm, to get there, John. I'd love to, please. I, it's not okay. my okay. But May I comment? Hour. Just, John, let's, let's go to Tony here and let him comment on this and see where, see where we end up. Yeah, because there's a lot to unpack, for sure. And as I said before, it almost take a book, right? Uh, so I've listened to John, and I know that uh, he has his opinions, but... Uh, I have the benefit of over 20 years of reviewing DTIC technical reports. I don't want to get into it too much, other than that my familiarity with such is more than passing, given the nature of my work. I won't even get into it other than to hear John talk about DTIC technical publications is, is interesting, uh, in that, uh, uh, as most know, I did a uh, multi-year deep dive into just that, and specifically into memory metal and shape recovery alloys and the origins of nitinol. Uh, to answer your question, Kevin, it is a post-Roswellian material. Uh, there are no shape recovery alloys before 1947. Uh, also, the way in which John and I approach things is markedly different. Uh, he tends to um, uh, not deep dive in the way that I would, for instance, and I'll give you a great example, uh, I phoned the uh, co-inventor of nitinol at the Naval Laboratories, Dr. Frank, Frank Wang, W-A-N-G, who with uh, Dr. William Bueller are said to have created nitinol in the early 60s. I reached him in retirement in his 80s. I asked Dr. Wang, would you please tell me, where did you get the phase diagram, the recipe to make memory metal? He told me that it came from Battelle. I said, well, how did it get from Battelle to you? And he said that it was presented to me by a general. I asked him, who was the general? How did you get it? How did this go about? Tell me. Carry me through it. And he said, I can't. I won't. And it's much more involved than that, much more complex than that. But my point is that I go a step further, and I call these folks, and I discuss as much as I can and as much as they'll let me, what went down? How did you get this material? Who gave you the phase diagram to create memory metal? In the same way that I called Steve Tomiski at the DIA, I simply didn't email him 
or wait to hear from him. I called him. I talked to him on the phone. Um, and again, I want to reiterate that he understood fully that this related to UFOs, so that when John talks about analyzing the response that I received from Steve, it's almost funny to me, because I'm the one that talked to the man, and I know for sure that he was not talking about John's fantasy of a cut-and-paste job or the term and or Tony, Tony, in, one se- in one excuse me in one sentence in one paragraph of 30,000 words of communication with me and the DIA as well as phone discussions and Tony, John you're brings going up far something about here. Well, yeah. we need to get we need to get the well, yeah, well, okay answer. so the the, the nitch and all thing is uh, again an affirmation that the uh, documents i received relate to the material that was recovered at Roswell to me uh, it's obvious Okay, uh, John. I, again, I mean, my my point stands. Uh, it it doesn't. You can find quite a few different things that comes right. post Roswell, and if you want to connect it, fine. Right. And that's well and good. But to jump to that, to what was written, and what was proposed and claimed are two wildly okay. different things. There's well, guys, a, is, is we, yeah, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. There's a. <clears throat> there is a reason that I reached out to the man who created the focus of those dirt reports connected to OSAP, which was Dr. Hal Putoff. I don't know why Tony doesn't want to talk to him, and that's fine. That's all. That's all his business. I, I never said that. Don't don't put. I um, never said actually, that. Actually, sir, you said that on, on my show. I never said I don't want to talk to him. Wait. So. I, I will pull the soundbite for you and send it to you and Kevin. So why you you ignore Dr. Putoff, who, again, was the one who created the scopes of all of this, I'm not sure, because you may gather some insight on what you're claiming. You may find reinforcement, or you may find contradiction. Well, right. I reached out to him, and the answer is the latter. It's contradiction. He claims that none of this had anything to do with aliens. Rather, he says that it ties into the actual scope of the program. And I so, told you the scientists don't know what the impetus of their work is. These are folks that we're talking about 72 years later. Well, I think, Tony, I think the point is here that in the documentations that you've cited, the document, the, the 150 documents that you received, there is nothing that ties it directly to Roswell. You have um, concluded the night and all ties it to Roswell, but the documents don't really say that. Am I correct in that? You are correct, and, and I think this is really where the problem lies. Uh, in some way, uh, perhaps it's a naive thinking, many feel, feel that these reports should include mention of extraterrestrials or ET or even debris, or perhaps even Roswell, but they never would. Uh, these are technical reports, and from these technical reports we can glean much more, and I actually would like to strengthen the case about Nithinol, uh related to uh, these documents and to UFOs and alien alloys, because as we continue to look at the technical papers, we begin to see that there are other materials that are spoken about that also relate to UFO technology. And I'd like very much to kind of deep dive and break this down for you. Uh, because some of the material that is uh, talked about in addition to the memory metal is distinct, uh, distinctly UFO-like. 
there simply is no question. Uh, much of the study and the application of this uh, uh, information related to something called metamaterial. And a metamaterial is a coined or a relatively recent word that's uh, believed to be any material that's engineered to have a property that is not found uh, in naturally occurring materials. And uh, some of these materials appear to be made from uh, assemblies of multiple elements uh, fashioned from composite materials like metals and plastics. And when you arrange uh, these atomically, there's some remarkable things that uh, can happen through the use of these materials. And I'm going to tie this all in. Uh, some of the material apparently can be used to slow down light and even bring light to a complete standstill, implying that material in and of itself may have the ability to manipulate the speed of light, uh, which is uh, uh, electromagnetic energy traveling at uh, uh, 186,000 miles per second. Uh, we do know that UFOs are able to blink on and off. They're able to appear in one part of the sky and immediately at another. Uh, in some way, they are able to slow down or manipulate light and sometimes even being, be able to bring it to a, uh, a standstill. And other of this material that they talk about in the received reports talk about invisibility. And we know that many of these UFOs can become invisible instantly and reappear. And the report suggests that the way in which this material works to do that is to manipulate uh, refraction and reflectivity and increase light absorption. And the reports talk about optical isolation. Uh, they talk about transparency, and they make reference to a uh, meta-mirror technology, which implies the ability to make something unable to be seen or picked up by radar or scanning or imaging, uh, another feature of UFOs. And then thirdly, we were presented with these reports that talk about compressing electromagnetic energy. And this is key because when we condense energy, we can transfer it faster. And that is the key to UFO travel is energy and the ability to compress it. Um, and then finally, and this is really probably the most revealing of all, is that they talk about a tunable resonance of this material that was determined during fabrication. And they talk about how some of this material, when it is hit with a stimulus of energy, uh, it takes uh, a very small stimulus to create a very large amplitude of vibration. And what this is is called energy harvesting. This material is able to, from the energy around it, pull energy out of its environment and utilize it within electronic devices. This is a technology called energy harvesting. And all of these things are UFO-like. But what really, to me, was uh, the, the most amazing thing, and it really occurred to me only recently, and it's going to tie right back to Roswell. Over uh, the years, I've noticed that at the Roswell crash, none of the witnesses ever seemed to detail a report of anyone talking about an engine or a motor or a motive device. Uh, they never mentioned seeing a power source. And there was a sergeant named Bill Innes, 
at Roswell Army Airfield in 47, the year of the Tony, crash. Tony, Tony, let me interrupt yeah, here. I've sure. got to take a break. We'll come back it. with Bill Innes. We'll come back to Bill Innes you right after it. we get done with Thanks the break. So, here. so let me break in. And John, we'll get your response here right after that as well. So uh, hang around, hang in there. The uh, websites are UFO uh, explorations.com by Tony Gallia and the Black Vault by John Greenwald. You'll find some good information there. And of course, take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com because I'll have some additional comments and information about this as well uh, coming up in the next few days. So uh, we'll be back right after this. Please stick around. social distancing. I am by myself. Uh, John Greenwald's by himself and Tony Begali is by himself. We're scattered all over the country. So we're doing our part. When I took the break here, Tony, you were mentioning Bill Innes and um, his observations. So let's... Yeah, yeah. He was a, a sergeant uh, that was there at the debris field. And uh, uh, before he... Uh, the first time he was reached, he had denied that he was there and that what he had heard was that it was a hoax. But 10 years later, he reapproached Tom Carey and, uh, and Don Schmidt, uh, research, UFO researchers, and said that he did want to come forward and say what he really had seen. And the reason he wanted to talk to them is because it, he said, guys, there was no engine, there was no motor. I, before I die, I want to know what makes it fly. He says, I have an idea of what, what makes it fly, though. So they talked a little bit more and saw that they were all kind of talking about the same thing. It was the material itself, the debris at his feet. That is what made it fly. He said it was the strangest stuff and that so much of it could do so many things. You know, again, we've all heard you couldn't break it, you couldn't scratch it. When you bent it, it went back to its original shape, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, you know, I'm thinking this is how it works. It's the material itself because it was like liquid metal which is what a witness Frankie Rowe had said. It was like it was molded, no seams. It was seamless. Well, incredibly, uh, much of the documents that I received talk about liquid metal and seamless metal, pourable metal, which may actually take over uh, plastics. These are called metallic glasses. These are novel engineering alloys with disordered atomic scale structure. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's an incredible thing that they're working on now and again relates to uh, UFOs. Again, uh, no rivets, no seams are joining, smooth, like many reported UFOs, right? So you're dealing with metamaterial, amorphous material, morphing metal, material that can make things invisible. Uh, gee, it sounds to me an awful lot like UFO material, right? So when John talks about weaponry and advanced aero platforms, absolutely. He and I are, are in agreement, and I've told him this before. I'm not saying that it doesn't relate to such things, even as the Pentagon says, but it also relates to this stuff, to these UFOs, and they've blended this artfully together. And there you go. The circle, you know, comes complete. We're, we're back at the beginning here. That is what uh, I believe, Kevin. John, 
Yeah. So uh, look, we could talk about the science all day long, and they've done. And we should. And we've, you know, obviously done quite a bit of research when it comes to the U.S. military, U.S. government, and what they've funded over the last couple of decades. Everything that we've talked about is available very widespreadly uh, for de and has been for decades throughout different programs, grants, so on and so forth. If the best we can do is just say the existence of a memory metal or nitinol or metamaterials or whatever uh, is the tie to Roswell, we got to do a little bit better than that. And Simply I can do that for you. Tony, please don't interrupt. John, go ahead. So when you look at the actual material that is there, if, if, if all of this truly connects to Roswell, then Tony's headline of the Pentagon admitting to UFO debris would have been true decades ago. But there's a reason why it's not. It wasn't true then, and it's not true now. Just because they admitted to these reports and sent them out, it fits in the scope of not only that program, but in research that they've done for decades. And the headline that the Pentagon admitted to this UFO debris, well, if the best the explanation is is saying, well, this stuff is UFO-like, well, UFO-like doesn't make it UFO-related. And that's all I kept hearing was, well, UFOs have these characteristics or UFOs have those characteristics. So ergo, this must be tied back to Roswell and the explosion of research done on all of this material in the decades thereafter. I don't see it that way. And I feel from the top down that yet again, we can make the connection and have an opinion. An investigator who has devoted obviously a very long time into researching the science and memory metals and nitinol and Roswell and finding that, there is something that I truly believe exists and it's what I call the I want to believe syndrome. And what I say, why I say it that way is that what you want to believe, you will find a way to get there. And it's hard for any human being to get beyond that. And I believe that that's a situation that, that we're dealing with here, that for, for quite some time, I know Tony has dealt with memory metals and tying it back to Roswell and aliens and so on. But everything that I have heard here, everything that I heard on my own show and everything that I have read as produced by Tony is a leap from basic report, not basic, but scientific analyses and, and research and so on that has gone on for decades. And then we leap to, aha, it has to be Roswell. And if that is the connection that made him say ET connection confirmed, then we have a pretty big problem because it's just not confirmed. If that's the only thing that allowed him to write the Pentagon admitted to UFO debris, then again, we have a very big problem because the evidence isn't there. And let me close it with this. If it was, I truly believe, even though I harp on the mainstream media a lot, if, if this was real and the evidence was truly there, we would have heard about this on 60 Minutes, Fox News, <laughs> and the front page of the New York Times, and Tony's laughing, but it's no laughing matter because this topic deserves more than sensationalized headlines and, and, and speculative claims. It is fine to have an opinion, a theory, and uh, a belief that this connects, but the proof is not there. Tony. 
Oh, uh, thank you for the opportunity to respond. I need to take a breath because, as both of you know, I can get quite hot-headed. John has a naive expectation that the word extraterrestrial or ET or Roswell or alien would appear in these documents. He wants it real nice and clean because that's the world, world he comes out of documentation, right? But my world is quite different, and yes, we do have a problem. And uh, so I, I would begin with that. I would also say that, John, um, I don't know how strong of a science and engineering background you have. Uh, I work in science and engineering and have for years and years, and I actually work in areas including in technology transfer, and I'd like to talk about that. And uh, the kind of things that you're saying and words that you're using, um, well, We'll talk about that later, but I think we can do better than, say, sensationalized. Uh, Yes, when I receive uh, information back from the Pentagon from a request requesting uh, debris, uh, UFO debris testing information, and that's what I get back, that's going to be the title of my articles. You better believe it. Is it sensational? I guess so. Uh, but I want to discuss the march of science. I want to really talk about how things are in the real world and how things go from discovery through development through commercialization and uh, what real technology transfer is, not some Phil Corso-like fantasy that serves to demean how things really happen in the real world. And again, I have some real insight into this, uh, and I don't need to name-call uh, uh, as John nearly did by calling me a sensationalist. Uh, excuse uh, me, Tony. But, Tony, yes. pull it back a bit. Uh, pardon me? John did not make any kind of accusation. Or he didn't call me call. a sensationalist? I thought he did. No, he said the headline was sensationalistic, and that's something different. So move well, I on wrote from it. there. I wrote it. Okay. So in any event, uh, one of the things that I've done that, again, John hasn't, is uh, done a deeper dive and talk to people that are involved. And one of the things that I did was to talk to the daughter of an involved scientist named Elroy John Center at Battelle uh, in 1947 who received the material from Roswell. And uh, I talk about this at length in articles archived on my website and in the book Witness to Roswell. One of the uh, persons involved at Battelle in the study of the material received from Roswell was a, a gentleman named Dr. Howard Cross, uh, and Howard Cross was both a materials scientist and engineer at Battelle, uh, as well as a ufologist working for Project Blue Book. In fact, he was the co-author of Project Blue Book Report Number 14. Uh, and here we have an excellent example of a materials scientist and engineer employed in the uh, private sector who was engaged in UFO study. Uh, much like we see a gentleman mentioned uh, in the documents that I received, whose name was previously redacted in the version I received, strangely, a gentleman named James Lukatsky. So what we see is historical precedent for using material scientists and engineers uh, within the private sector or academia to work on this material and then to begin to release it over years and years as applications reports. Uh, And I appreciate you giving me a chance to explain why these materials documents prove the case for EET inspiration, 
because that is how it is being transferred, and these are the kinds of people that are doing it. But when we get down to the bottom line, there is the documentation is about the metals and that sort of thing, and you, right. you've drawn the conclusion based mm -hmm. on your UFO research that this metal had to come from an alien spacecraft. Because of the reply that I received as well. I mean, let's be plain about it. Unless someone has basic reading and comprehension skill issues, uh, it is clear as the nose on my face that uh, I requested information on UFO uh, material, testing of that material, and material that was held at Bigelow Aerospace, and I received documents in kind. Okay, we're uh, have I don't to, know how more clear it can be. To, in fact, in fact, uh, if I can Tony, talk, uh, no, Kevin. you can't. Tony, please, I've okay. got to take a break here. We will come back to the, after the break. Just say that. Thanks. After the break. Thanks Thank so you. much. Uh, this is the end of the first part of our discussion on the documents Tony received from the government and John Greenwald's. Um, conclusions drawn on his research into those documents as well. We will be back next week with the completion of the discussion and more information about this from both these gentlemen and hope we can draw some sort of uh, conclusions at the end of that that would be um, satisfactory to at least the public out here. I'm, not, I'm sure we're never going to get a meeting of the minds of John Greenwald and Tony Bregalia on this particular topic. So we won't even, we won't even hope for that, but we'll hope that uh, maybe those of you out there will understand better what's going on here and how some of these things are maneuvered through the UFO field, I guess is the best way to say it. I'm trying, trying to be as neutral as possible as I can here. Um, in the last few minutes here, I would like to just point out um, that uh, I've got a number of books out there for you to take a look at, including Roswell in the 21st Century, Encounter in the Desert, the best of Project Blue Book. I'd appreciate that if you guys take a look at it. And I should mention the book coming out in just a couple of weeks. By May 1st is UFOs in the Deep State. And had I written that book this year, it would be a little bit different simply because of things that have transpired in the last year, year and a half. But it draws a parallel between what is going on in the deep state, the shadow government, the hidden government, and the investigation into UFOs and how all of that has been affected by that sort of uh, influence. And that's why we end up having these kinds of discussions with John and Tony is because we do not have all the information because it's being manipulated and it's clearly being manipulated. I think that, that we have to, I, I think we all agree on that, that mm -hmm. the information yeah. is being manipulated. Don't know exactly, well, I do know their purpose, but that's a whole, that's a show for another time. Uh, next week, and I say next week, Tony and I and, and John and I will continue this discussion, but next week we will have the second part of this special edition of A Different Perspective, and we will finish our discussions at that point because we have no choice, we'll have to finish them at that point. So you have been listening to A Different Perspective on the Exxon Broadcast Network, and I'll be back in 167 hours with the completion of this, so uh, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>